0: Okay, our first reading is from Genesis, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. We move to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Reading this week from chapter 3 verse 15 through to chapter 4 verse 7. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The the scripture doesn't say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added... Because of transgressions until the seed, to whom the promise referred, had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith, now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good evening everyone and uh, it's great to see you this evening. My name is Craig. I'm an assistant minister here in the parish of Church Hill. Uh, for those who I haven't met yet, uh, my main responsibilities are caring for our 9.30 and 4pm communities down at the garrison and I've just come from there and as I do every time I bring greetings from your brothers and sisters down the road at the garrison church and uh, It's a joy to be at 6pm with you this evening. Uh, We're going to reflect on these words that David just read to us from the book of Galatians. But before we do so, I'm going to say a short prayer for us. Um, We believe here uh, that God is a God who wants to be known and has made himself known. We believe as we meditate and reflect on the Bible that God's Spirit works with His Word uh, and leads us um, into a deepening faith and knowledge of Him. So I'm going to just pray that God might be at work amongst us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us and your Word. And as we reflect upon it now, we ask for your spirit to be at work amongst us and within us, teaching us, encouraging us, rebuking us, leading us to your son, Jesus. So I ask that you'll move each one of us closer to you tonight. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hmm. Well I wonder if you heard uh, tonight's passage from Galatians being read and uh, if you thought is the Apostle Paul still going on about this? Now I'm sorry if you're new with us this evening but here in, at St. Philip's uh, you need to know we've been reading through this New Testament book called Galatians It was a letter written to early Christians all the way back in 48 AD, and we've been covering the same ground now uh, for some weeks. Is it true that the Apostle Paul is still going on about how Jesus relates to the promises and the law of the Old Testament? It's been three weeks. And for some of us, we're saying, okay, I get it already. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law So we put our trust in him and not our own performance. For others of us, we're saying, I still don't really get it, but can we just move on to another topic? Because we keep talking about this all the time. And others, others of us may be somewhere in between. Obviously, for Paul, who wrote this letter, it really matters that he try every way possible to explain to his readers and to us how being connected and accepted by God has everything to do with placing our faith and trust in Jesus rather than placing our faith in ourselves. That is, I guess, our own ability to sort of scrub up before God. I mean, he doesn't want his readers to walk away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here we are in mid-chapter 3... Paul tries another tact, and he does it through exploring the promises of God. That is, throughout the Bible, you'll get a picture of God, that He is a promise maker, and God is a promise keeper. Um, but it's, you'll see from the opening of our passage, it's kind of more than a promise, it's a covenant. God is a covenant maker, and He is a covenant keeper. Now, a covenant is different to a promise, because it's two-way. It's not just one person saying, I'm going to promise to do this particular thing. Um, A covenant involves two parties coming together, making commitments to each other. And in this section, Paul's argument is quite clear, in fact. He says, God has made a covenant with humanity that he would make things right. That's really the, the arc of the Bible narrative. That he would make things right. Not you making all things right. It's true, isn't it, that for some of us, not all, but for some of us, we really walk around with the weight of the world on our shoulders. It feels that way. We instinctively believe, whether it's in our work, whether it's in our relationships, perhaps whether it's in our own Christian faith, we instinctively believe that we have to make it all happen. We have to change the world, or at least our world. God may be out there somewhere, but in reality, it's all on me. I think a lot of us sense that or feel that from time to time, some stronger than others. It's interesting that Jesus said in Matthew 11, He said these words He said, Come to me, all you who are weary. The key to Paul's argument in this section is that God has made a covenant with humanity that He will make things right. He will make things right, not you making all things right. And indeed, the original covenant that God had made with Abraham was a promise to do something great for all people, you and I, through a descendant of Abraham. What was Abraham's side of the covenant? He had to trust God's promise and act on it. He had to trust God's promise and act upon it. Now, if we want to get into what Paul is writing in this passage, we actually need to get back to the promise that he's writing about, which is Genesis chapter 12, which was conveniently our first Bible reading for this evening. Uh, In this section of the Bible, at the very start, God appears to a guy called Abram and makes a promise to him. And you can see the promise that's recorded for us in our first passage. I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. And I'll make your name great, you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise Paul is referring to in Galatians 3, the covenant. And in the story of Genesis... What has come just before this moment? It's Genesis chapter 11. And Genesis chapter 11 is the account of the Tower of Babel. Now, I'm not sure if I think we're all aware of of that Bible story, but the point of this account in Genesis 11 is to highlight how um, our humanity's, people's, rejection of God has so twisted us or shaped us in a way that we use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to build amazing things, fantastic, fantastic, but then try and kid ourselves when we look at those amazing things that we are in fact our own gods. And apart from being proud and arrogant, that's a pretty heavy burden to bear, isn't it? in Genesis 11, it's it's a really sad picture. The Bible reveals to us a God who is creating us and our world to have a unity. And this is the beauty of it. It's a unity that comes not from trying to rival God, but joyfully accepting that we are all creatures of a loving God, that he has created this universe with a certain rhythm, a certain order. And of course, You read in Genesis chapter 3 to 11 is all about what happens when we fall out of rhythm with our good and loving God or when we reject him. And uh, you open the start of your Bible, it's a messy picture. There's jealousy, selfishness, betrayal. There's desperate clamors for power, murder, deception, drunkenness. And it's all wrapped up in Genesis 11 with humans trying to build this massive tower that will show how dominant we are in the universe. And it's kind of a joke Except no one's laughing, because it's actually a really depressing, hopeless picture. And then we reach Genesis chapter 12. And it's at this point that God says, I am stepping in, and I will make a way for you. I'm going to do it on the ground, if you will, through a family, actually through a person. A person who will step into the mess and pull people up and through it. And what is our response to all of this? What's our side of the covenant that God has made? It is to trust that God can do it and to put our faith in him. So let's go back to Galatians. We've had a little excursion in the Old Testament for the night. Let's go back to Galatians. You see Paul's point in verse 17 He says this, the law, now the law is often understood as the Ten Commandments, pretty classic, but of course the law is more than just the Ten Commandments. But he says the law, the Ten Commandments, all that went with it, they were given 430 years after Abraham, after the covenant. Paul's point is that God had promised he'll get us out of this mess. God's law is good in the Bible. It's worth reading, soaking in, responding to. But it's not the way out of the mess. Paul notes that God said to Abraham, through your offspring, singular. And Paul picks up on that. He says, hey, through one of your descendants, I'll bless the whole world. I'll undo the curse of sin and the chaos of Babel. I'll start making things right. And Paul has this light bulb moment when he realizes that Jesus is the one descendant of Abraham, Who has come to make things right between us and God? So Paul's point in this whole letter, in fact, is place your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you as the Son of God. And I wonder if that's why Jesus says, my burden is light. But it's also worth asking at this point, well, what's the deal with the Ten Commandments thing then? If they aren't a list of things you have to do to get to heaven, then what are they? I love this. Look, look at what Paul writes in verse 24. He says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now the word guardian here is key because it's, it's a word that we don't use anymore. So it's helpful to note what he's talking about. It refers guardian to a household slave in the ancient world. Now, that is, in the ancient world, slavery was not all chains and punishment or whatever. There was a class of slavery that were under the authority of the wealthy, but they were household managers, highly educated men and women. They kept the house and finances in order. They oversaw the kids. They were the children's teacher. They were babysitter, school teacher, family accountant, all rolled into one. If you were a child in a wealthy family, you'd be under the authority of a guardian. And it's a pretty quirky metaphor, but Paul is saying that God's law is great in the way that it teaches us what it looks like to be be fully human. That is how God has designed us to be. It's a picture of a life that is a complete turnaround from the chaos and pride and envy that led to the Tower of Babel. And so you're sitting there going, okay, I get that. So what's the deal with the Ten Commandments then if they're not a list of things you have to do to get to heaven? Paul says, well, they act like a teacher. They're a guardian instructing us as to how good life can be when we live as part of God's family. This is a description of God's family. What is the one thing the Ten Commandments can't do? Well, they can't get you into God's family. But then the Apostle Paul takes this quirky metaphor one step further. And I think this is a real brain twister, but you sort of see what's happening behind his thoughts. Paul says, you know, like going with the whole family metaphor thing, he said there was actually only ever one child in God's family. Now, I know there have been billions and billions of humans in the history of creation, hasn't there? We're all creatures of God, yes, but not all his children. Because our rejection of him has actually left us distant from him. But there has been one child, one son of God, one seed or offspring that fulfills God's law. He was part of God's family because everything the guardian or the law taught him to do, he did. He was perfect, and that's why he was in God's family. This one son of God is Jesus. Now, that's all nice and cutesy, isn't it? Ties up in a nice little bow. Um, Good for him. (laughs) But if that's the bar for being in God's family, um, perfection, holiness... um, It's nice, but I can't be a part of it because I know myself, uh, I know my failures, um, I know the darkness that's in my life and my past, and I don't belong in that family, not now or ever. It's too good. But this is Paul's point in this section of his letter, verse 26, he says this, so in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. Not through your performance, but through your faith, your trust. And how is that possible? Well, he says in chapter 4, verse 4, he said, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that they might receive adoption to sonship. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You and I can't earn our way into God's family. Um, In fact, that whole concept is so weird anyway, isn't it? Because how do you become part of a family? You're born into it. Like little Nora Catherine was just born into the Bell family. You're either born into a family or you're adopted into the family. There the are only two options to become part of a family. And in, in, in neither of those two options is it about what you do. It's about the parents and their choice. Suppose we enter into God's family through our faith in the one true son. And through him, you and I are adopted in why? Because the father wants you in his family. And of course, the reason why Paul here is using son language and not daughter language uh, is a contextual thing. In the ancient world, the son inherits the father's estate. Um, that's the point. And so, in God's family, you are sitting on an unthinkable inheritance. You can forget the family house at Avoca that maybe one day you'll inherit. No, no, no. In God's family, the inheritance is a whole new creation. That is the future for those in God's family. And one of the things with the inheritance is if you're a child, you get the inheritance. That's the future for God's family. In the present, we receive a whole new way to relate to our Creator, to our God. It's not actually as God, nor as a distant power, not as a vague spiritual thing that may or may not exist, not as a feeling you get when you go surfing or go on a bushwalk. No, in the present, today, what you receive through faith in Jesus is the chance to call the God of the universe, Abba Father. Abba is a word that is an affectionate term for a father. Dad, pops, I don't know. I guess if you don't have a good relationship with your father, you don't really have a cutesy affectionate term because there is no affection there. But, but if you are very close to your father, you might have a little term that you refer to him as. That, that affectionate term, Abba father, is actually our new relating point to the God who's made everything. The, the future is secure. It's so good, actually. It's, it's sort of beyond understanding. So I don't really get what a new creation is, but I know it's new, which is better than, well, it's not always better than old, but it's better than old because I can see the brokenness in this world. It's amazing. And that's an inheritance, right? You get it if you're a child. That is secure. And the present is grounded in a daily walk with God as your heavenly Father. Listening to him, trusting him, acting on what he says and what he speaks into your life of who you are. We had this great moment. Last night, there was um, uh, a couple who were down at 4 p.m. who got married, um, Dan and Tracy. And uh, I was at their wedding last night and um, Dan said at some point during his speech, um, he was talking about his dad who had spoken just before and he said, you know, when I was young... Um, like, I always just, I knew, you know, I knew my dad didn't know anything, um, and it was, it was always kind of a bit of a, he would say something, I'll do the opposite. But he said, as I was growing up, as I grew up, I actually got to the point of realizing my parents were right about everything. <laughs> now, of course, his parents aren't perfect, but that, it's that experience of growing up, and, and indeed, that is a faith experience. You know, for many of us, perhaps when we were younger in our faith, or maybe you're in this stage right now, there's a sense of going, God is, yeah, he hasn't got it right. If he really knew, he would have done this in my life, and he would have done this in my life, and I would be feeling this right now. And all. But the promise of the Scriptures is as we grow up in our faith, we start to go, he's been right about everything. Abba Father, he's a good father. He, he's really worth listening and trusting and acting on. And all of this comes through faith in the person and work of Jesus, the Son of God. At the start, I sort of asked despairingly, um, is he still going on about all this stuff, Paul, in this letter? And the answer is Yes. And I thank God that the Apostle Paul does, because every human-made religion is about burden. Well, maybe, yeah, weighing people down uh, with a sense of uncertainty about the future. Maybe, maybe you might be good enough. Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus, which is what Galatians is all about, says, you know what, you're not good enough. But no one is. But you are deeply loved. And God has made a way for you back into his family. And I wonder what does this mean uh, for you today, tonight? Perhaps you've forgotten who you really are as a follower of Jesus. Um, Perhaps you are genuinely focused on whatever earthly inheritance you'll get, and you've forgotten that you're sitting on a much bigger inheritance if you're a child of God. Perhaps you've realized that, that you're a creature of God, of course, but not a child of His, because... You've never taken your faith off yourself and placed it in what God has done in Jesus. And perhaps tonight, for the first time, you might be thinking, wow, I've got to enter that family. I want to be adopted in. And you do that through prayer and speaking to your heavenly father and accepting the adoption through what his son has done. And during our last songs tonight, our last two songs, Graham and Bronwyn will be up the back for prayer, And maybe as you're singing in the last few songs, you may want to go back and just pray with someone. And they would love to pray with you. And you might ask God to, uh, you might accept God's adoption into his family for the first time. Perhaps God is doing things in your life right now that are good. And so what you need to do is celebrate. And you need to thank God your fatherly God for his goodness. And share that with your brothers and sisters and speak about your your father. He's our father too. We're all one family in Christ. So I'm not sure where each one of us are at tonight in our own journey of faith. Uh, But my prayer is that you will accept the adoption into God's eternal family. And for those who have, that we will find a whole new identity as a child of his. And so I'm going to pray and ask that uh, wherever you are at tonight, that God might be at work in your heart and your mind and that you might leave tonight calling him Abba, Father. So let me pray. Our dear Lord and our loving, heavenly Father. Lord, as we sit here now in this space, and Lord, as we hear an ambulance drive past our church, Lord, we are reminded of the brokenness of this world. We are reminded of the brokenness of illness and accident, disease and death, Lord, we thank you that in your loving kindness, you have a new creation planned. And that you have made it possible for us to be adopted into this family to receive such an inheritance. And so, Lord, wherever we find ourselves tonight, please lead us back to you as Abba Father. Let your spirit be at work in our life that we may trust your words, that we may trust your promises, and that we may act upon them. Please lead us each in that direction, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.